Amen. Amen. Good morning. Man, it is exciting to see you all here. Thank you for your patience and getting the room set up and making room for everybody. And I'm going to go out on a limb and just say this. We want to see you all back next week and we'll figure it out together. All right. Uh, Welcome to Solid Rock. I'm glad you're here. If you are a visitor with us this morning, we're especially glad that you're here. Uh, My name is Jason Williams. I have the honor of pastoring here at the church. Uh, serving with five other elders, among whom Billy serves as well. And we're honored to have you. Uh, if you are visiting with us, you're surrounded by an awesome church family uh, that, uh, that, that I say often I would come to church here even if I wasn't the pastor, and I mean it. Um, we are honored that you're here with us this morning. Um, we're going to be in John chapter 10 in just a moment. Uh, John chapter 10. So if you want to grab your, your Bible or your phone or your tablet, or if you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, uh, we put Bibles under the seats around you. Um, those are the black hardback Bibles. And if you don't um, own a copy of God's Word, that's our free gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word to take home with you. Uh, and so we'll get started here in just a second. I want to start with just a little bit of uh, honesty this morning um, about my own experience when I first started going to church. I, for the most part, didn't grow up in church. Um, as a little kid, we went on Easter and uh, sometimes on Christmas Eve. Um, but I was 15 years old uh, before I started going to church on my own. And it was on my own. I literally uh, went without my family. I had some friends. I had a, a best friend who, who promised there'd be girls there. And so I, I'm in, right? That's, my motives were pure. Uh, that's why I started going to church. But I'm going to tell you, like, when I got there, uh, it was a little weird. Can we be honest about that? My first experience in church, it was a little weird. Um, the, the people there uh, were singing these songs about blood and death, and they seemed to be happy about it. And, uh, and there was this guy who would get up and preach, and uh, later on this man would become a mentor to me and a dear friend. But at the end of every sermon, he would invite people to come forward. And I was thinking in my mind, there is no way I'm going to the front of this room. You people are weird. I felt underdressed. I didn't know the lingo. People were saying things I didn't get, like a fish out of water. The music minister, who later became a dear friend to me as well, Um, my first impression of this guy was like Don Knotts on espresso. Uh, This guy, I'm telling you what, he has some energy. He would lead us in singing the old hymn, There's Power in the Blood. And you guys may be familiar with it. There's power, power, wonder-working power. And he'd he'd lead us through singing that chorus. And he'd say, let's sing it again and let's do four powers. And he'd go, there's power, 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 power in the blood. And then he'd say, let's do eight powers. And he'd take us back through it. And I was thinking, man, you folks are just weird. Then they would pass this this plate, this wooden plate with felt in it, and they would pass it around, and people would drop money in it. And that was always awkward because, you know, I was 15 years old. I didn't have money. I didn't know why. So I'd always do the the, the silent prayer thing, you know, act like I was praying. And I'd, oh, yeah, okay, and I'd pass that way. I didn't feel guilty about not giving money. And there was so much I didn't understand about the church. Yet there was something about it that compelled me to keep coming back. It would happen every time we would sing the song, Amazing grace, and we would sing the lines, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And for the first time in my life, I was at a place where it was okay to say, I'm a wretch. And just to be honest about it, see, everything else I'd experienced up until that moment, I was to pretend like I wasn't a wretch, like I had it together, like I was polite and courteous, and and I didn't want anybody to know what was going on inside of my heart. And yet in this particular place, I could be honest about the struggle. 
we'd sing, Come Thou Fount. Maybe you're familiar with these words. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And I would sing those lines and think, I can get on board with that. That sounds like me. I, I don't always have it together. Sometimes I'm struggling on the inside. And there was something about the church that compelled me to keep coming. And I became a Christian. I trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone for my salvation, for my purpose, for my sense of joy. About six months later, I was baptized in the church, and Jesus changed everything. We're going to start this morning in John chapter 10, looking at some things that Jesus spoke. This is in his earthly ministry before the cross and before the resurrection. John chapter 10, verse 7, we find these remarkable words from Jesus. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out or go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, twice in this passage, Jesus calls himself the door or the entry point. And as Jesus was speaking and teaching the crowd, he was looking out and looking them in the eyes. He was seeing a people who were very desperate, people who had been looking for purpose in other things. Some of them have been looking for their purpose and their worth in religion. The religion of Jesus' day, especially the Jewish religion, was one founded on rules and laws and works. And he was looking out at desperate people who had tried that system and it let them down. We know that Jesus encountered wealthy people who had made lots of money, whether they inherited it or, or had they prospered in their business. And, and they looked for purpose and meaning in, in money. But he was looking at a people who were still desperate, who had been let down by the pursuit of money or prestige or popularity. Jesus encountered people who were successful, talented, gifted people, the kind of people that we want to be like. Everybody loves them, and yet they were desperate on the inside. Every other route that these people had taken had let them down, and Jesus was now saying to everybody who was listening, I am the way. I am the only way to find a true sense of purpose and value and joy and peace. You won't find it anywhere else. Matter of fact, look at the contrast of what he says. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. And I would say this, all who came after him as well. And Jesus is saying, you know what it's like to be let down. You've tried to put your hope in other things. And, and rather than giving to you, what did they do? They took from you. They stole from you. They lied to you. And they led you to death. And Jesus is saying, I am the door. I am the only way to find what it is you're looking for. You know, we're not any different from the crowd of this day. Like every person in this room is searching for something. Joy, 
peace, comfort. It looks different in our different lives. Why? Because we, we believe that different things will make us happy. But each one of us, if we're going to be honest, we're pursuing that. We manage our calendars. We invest our time, our energy, our, our money in things that we believe will return to us happiness, joy, comfort, peace, purpose, self-worth. We're just like this crowd of folks here. And Jesus is saying to us today the same thing. I am the only way to find what it is you're searching for. And just like these people, you have been let down, stolen from, and led towards death. Right? We, we look for purpose and value in relationships. Right? Every spouse in the room has let somebody down, right? You may have had your good days, but let's just be honest. There isn't, there isn't a person in the room who's capable of providing joy to another person. We look for joy in our relationship, and it lets us down. We pursue positions. We pursue impressing our supervisors or our bosses. We start businesses, and we work really hard. Why? Right? To get to the end and say, what? I've arrived. I have peace. I have joy. And every person in this room on one pursuit or another has been let down, stolen from, and lied to. So Jesus is saying this, I am the only one who can satisfy you. He uses two different descriptions here. He uses pasture. So if you, if you understand agriculture and farming, which I have that background, I totally understand what he's saying. When you turn livestock out to pasture, they're well-fed right? They're, they're satisfied. They're protected. They're, right, they're glad to be out. There's a sense of comfort. It's Psalm 23, right? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. His rod and his staff comfort us like a good shepherd. He leads us by still waters and leads us into green pastures. It's this idea of having plenty and being satisfied. Jesus said, the only way you're going to be satisfied like that is to come to me. And then after that, he says this, the thief comes to kill or to still kill and destroy, but I have come to give you something better. I have come to give you life and life abundantly. Life abundantly. He also says this. I am the door. If anyone comes to me, he will be saved. When we look at the cross, we see, as our worship team led us in singing, to see something both cruel and beautiful. At the cross, if we could imagine in our minds the brutality of it, the grotesqueness of, of the scene, what was taking place, the torture, the humiliation, the insults. On one hand, it was very dark and very ugly. But we're going to see Jesus willingly walk through those things to give us something incredibly beautiful to save us from, to save us from our own pursuits to save us from thieves and robbers who would seek to lie to us and steal from us. In verse 11, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. Now the word good here means beautiful and trustworthy. So Jesus is saying, I am the trustworthy shepherd. He's gonna contrast a good shepherd with a hired hand. And we're gonna see the difference between the two. On one level, a hired hand can look a lot like a shepherd, right? Doing the same tasks, feeding the livestock, taking care of things. But there's a vast difference between a shepherd and a hired hand. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And here's how you know I'm a good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He lays down his life 
for the sheep. See, the difference between a shepherd, a good shepherd, a trustworthy shepherd, and a hired hand is that the good shepherd stays to the end and lays his life down for the ones he loves. He goes on to say, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. You think about anything else that you pursue happiness in, in the end, it will abandon you and let you down. When, when danger comes, Jesus says, here's how you know I'm the good shepherd. I don't run. When I see that you're in danger, I step in between you and danger. Any other system out there, whether it's religion or a political system or your own pursuit of happiness, right, in the end, it will let you down. When things get hard, it's going to flee. It's going to run. I'm the good shepherd. I don't run. Verse 13, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now, what a beautiful contrast here between Jesus himself and anything else on earth that I could pursue happiness in. I might pursue happiness in uh, building my 401k and my retirement to the, to, the, to the right point. But in the end, the 401k doesn't care about me. I could pursue uh, my happiness and my sense of identity, again, in pursuing a career. And if I could just make it to this level... Right? But in the end, that career doesn't care about me, does it? See, Jesus says the difference is this. I actually care about you. I care. And the way you know I care is because I lay my life down for you. I am the good shepherd, verse 14. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I love that. Jesus is saying this, in the same way that I am in an intimate relationship with the heavenly father, I know him and he knows me in the same way. I want to be your good shepherd and I want to know you that way. See, one of the things that compelled me to the church, despite all the things I didn't understand was this. I heard this beautiful gospel message that said this, God want to have a relationship with me. We sang songs like in the garden. He walks with me. He talks with me. And that, that blew my mind. God doesn't want to be a far-off deity to be honored with shrines and statues. He wants to walk with me. When I rise in the morning, he wants to meet me there and speak to me and give me direction for my day. When I find myself walking through a valley of, of, of struggle or darkness, he wants to walk through it with me. And this compelled me. I can get on board with a God like that, a God who wants to know me, to have a relationship with me, to speak to me and let me speak back. And Jesus says that when we come to him, we will know him that intimately in the same way that the son knows the father and the father knows the son, so does the shepherd know the sheep and the sheep know the shepherd. And this may be the first time you've ever heard that. God wants to have a relationship with you. He loves you. He wants to be your safe place. He wants to be the place where you cry. He wants to be the place where you celebrate. He wants to be the place where you bring your guilt and shame. He wants to be the one to unshackle, right? Everything that binds you. He truly is the good shepherd. 
verse 16, one of my favorite verses in this whole section of scripture. Verse 16 says this. So as Jesus continues teaching, he says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now what's so important about this verse is understand primarily Jesus is speaking to the people of Israel who for thousands of years had bought into this idea that they were God's favorite, okay? And, and so that meant that everybody else was less than. If you didn't look like the good, faithful people of Israel, right, you were the stepchildren here on earth. And what Jesus is saying to these good religious folks is this, hey, there's gonna be some sheep who show up who don't look like you. That was me when I was 15 years old walking into the church. I didn't look like a church boy. Trust me. There was a whole lot of work that Jesus needed to do in my heart. And so Jesus is saying to the religious people, the church crowd that had gathered, oh, by the way, don't be, right, don't be caught off guard when folks show up who don't look like you, right? They don't have on the church clothes. They don't know the church lingo. And, and I love what he says. There's not going to be two groups of you. There's going to be one, one fold, one people, whether you grew up in church or not. I don't know if that's... If that's hope to you today, I, I don't. But, but if, like, if you're not a churchy person, like that excites me. I don't have to look like all these people for God to love me. Nope, I'm in. I'm in on that. I thought I had to dress the dress and talk the talk and walk the walk and have the right radio stations and bumper stickers and all the right fish on my back glass. And like, I thought that's what it meant to be a Christian. And Jesus saying, hey, some people follow me like that. It's okay, right? But to us, church folk, right, not everybody's going to look like you. I've got sheep who are from a different fold. But in the end, I've got one pasture and one people. Verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Now, Jesus has already contrasted himself with any other system of hope or happiness we might pursue by saying this. Here's why I'm different. I've laid myself down for you. Nobody else has done that, right? Now, on one hand, um, if you're a, a parent, or a faithful spouse, or you've ever loved anybody, you might find yourself in a situation where you might lay yourself down for somebody you love, right? If you're a mom, you've got a brand new infant in your arms, I mean, you wouldn't have to think about it. Wouldn't even have to think about it. Decision's made, boom, you'd put yourself between that infant and danger, right? So there's people in this room who would willingly lay yourselves down for someone you love. But the contrast of what Jesus is saying is this, I'm laying myself down for people who don't like me, Right? People who are spitting on me, people who are punching me in the face, people who would just as soon nail me to a cross and kill me. I'm dying for all of them too. I'm dying for suicide bombers. I'm dying for mass murderers. I'm dying for the least of society. Now think about that. Right? Who's going to lay themselves down right, to save the life of somebody like that? Jesus says, I will. And I'm the only one who will do that. 
I will lay my life down. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay my life down that I might take it up again. Now, this is so important. If Jesus only laid his life down, that would only be half of our hope. And let me tell you why. See, Jesus laid his life down. He went to the cross in our place. Like him being nailed to the cross, that should have been me. So he was taking my place. He was paying the punishment for my sin, right? And so if that's all he had done was died in my place, then my punishment, right, for that moment is gone. But here's the problem. The very next moment, I'm sinning again. Jesus dying alone does not fix me, right? Laying your life down for somebody is inspiring, that's why we love, or that's why I love movies like Braveheart and Gladiator and The Patriot and right, Robin Hood. Anytime somebody's like willingly laying themselves down for others, I'm inspired for the moment. But we don't need inspiration for the moment, right? We need, we need hope to get us out of our situation. We need real life change. So Jesus is saying, I didn't only die for your sins, but I did something more powerful than that. I resurrected from the grave to break the power of sin and death over you. Hebrews 10 talks about how year after year after year, the priest of Israel would go into the temple. They would butcher the animals for the sins of the people. And then he goes on to say this, but it never fixed the problem. It made them feel good for the moment, right? In that moment, animals dying, blood is being shed. God is satisfied. I feel better about being a jerk this last week. Oh, walking right out the door and on the way home from church, now I'm bickering with my wife again, being a jerk again. Now all of a sudden I'm feeling what? Shame and guilt. It didn't fix anything. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection fixes what's broken inside of here. And it's at the resurrection that Jesus displays the power and the victory over sin and death. Now think about that. You know, we say uh, here in the South anyway, the only two sure things in life are death and Taxes, it feels that way. And they both kind of feel the same, don't they? Um, but as much as we want to buy into that, you know, that's not the reality, right? I mean, people who live in the jungle don't have to pay taxes, but they do have to face death. So that really the one sure thing that every human being is guaranteed to face is death. From the moment we draw our first breath, there is a guarantee that we will one day draw our last breath, right? Physical death. That's just, it's just the way it works. A lot of obstacles we can overcome in life. We can lose jobs and get new jobs. We can, we can go file bankruptcy. We can get back on top of our game after time. We can struggle in marriages and we can press in and things can get better. You can even face a terminal illness by God's miraculous grace or by some kind of medical uh, um, instrument. You can find healing for that. And we can get over a lot of obstacles here in this life. But the one thing, right, you cannot get over on your own is death, physical death. Now, somebody else can give you CPR and bring you back to life possibly, but you can't do that for yourself, can you? And so what Jesus is saying to us in the resurrection is this, I have authority to take it back up again, meaning this, I have authority over death. Jesus is saying that he has authority over the one thing that seems to have ultimate authority over us. You can put off death and pretend like it's not gonna happen. You can fight against it and eat healthy and work out, but in the end, you're gonna have to face it. And Jesus is saying, take comfort because I have overcome that which has authority over you. And in his resurrection, he has broken the power of sin and death for us. 
In Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul talks about this, this beautiful power of Jesus given to us. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him. Stop right there. I'm a Christian. I haven't been buried in the dirt yet. I haven't been put in a tomb. What is he talking about? He says, I've been buried, therefore, with him, being Jesus, by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life and what Jesus was calling abundant life. We're going to have a baptism here in just a few minutes in our service. And I'm excited, excited, excited about this baptism. One of our high school students and, uh, and one of our um, youth interns is going to be baptizing him. And in the, in the, in the, in the symbolism of baptism, we're, we're, we're painted this amazing picture that we read in Romans 6. You see, when a person is lowered under the water, that's symbolic of what? Dying with Christ. Now, that person is going to come back up and still breathe and be alive. What are we saying? We're saying that the old me is now dead. At the moment I believe in Jesus and trust in him, the old me is buried with him in death. But then we, we don't leave that person underwater very long, right? Hopefully. We let that person back up. Why? Because by faith in Christ, this newness of life, we're, we, we live in his resurrected power as well. And so this is what Paul is saying, that Therefore, by, with, with him, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Verse 5, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. See, the resurrection wasn't just about Jesus overcoming the grave. It was about Jesus overcoming the grave for us. His victory would become our victory. Now, the resurrection isn't just some future thing that we're hoping happens. It's a future thing we hope happens that gives us power for today, to walk in a newness of life today, finding my joy, my purpose, my peace, my comfort in the midst of struggle in Jesus and Jesus alone. So my, it doesn't matter what kind of day my wife is having. I could have joy in Jesus it doesn't matter whether or not my children are being obedient today and they got stickers for being good in school. My joy isn't found in those things. It's not. It's not found in whether this person likes me or I get invited to go to this thing or not, whether or not my supervisors are impressed, whether or not I climb this ladder I'm on, right? My joy isn't found in those things. It's found in Christ and Christ alone. At the resurrection, Jesus' victory becomes our victory. Today, in, in faith alone, by faith alone, by simply believing in the gospel, you can have that resurrection power. If you're not a Christian, you could walk into this room today still looking for your joy in fleeting things, and you could walk out of here today finding your joy in Jesus and Jesus alone, and the power of the resurrection will change everything. It will. And Jesus was honest about that. I'm not just going to give you your old life back. You come to me. I'll take your life from you, and I'm going to give you something better back. I'm going to call it abundant life. Now, when I talk with folks about um, becoming a Christian and have different conversations with people, I find there are about three, three different hesitations I hear. One hesitation I hear from some folks is, you know what? It sounds too good to be true. You know what my response is to that almost always if I remember? You're absolutely right. It is too good to be true. 
and yet it's still true. The idea that God would send his son, like who sends their son to die for people? Even good people, let alone scoundrels and wretches like us. Like that's absurd. That's scandalous. Why, why would God do that? It's too good to be true, and yet it's still true. For God so loves the world that he sent his only son for us. It's one hesitation I hear, and maybe that's you today. You're thinking, man, it's just too good. All my sins forgiven? Come on, you don't know about my past. Hey, I don't. I don't need to know about your past, but I can tell you, you don't know about mine either. Jesus is speaking to people with pasts like ours. And it is too good to be true. Another hesitation I hear sometimes basically has to do with, well, I'm just not at that place in my life, meaning this, I don't have room for Jesus in my agenda. My calendar's full, right? If I believe in Jesus, it's gonna change everything and I've got a pretty good system down here. It's not, it's not making me very happy, but it's manageable, it's predictable, I know what to expect. And if I become a follower of Jesus, I'm afraid he's gonna change everything. He is gonna change everything. And you'll be glad he did. You'll be glad he did. And a third hesitation I hear, especially in conversations about the resurrection, is this. Jesus doesn't fit into my scientific equation. I can't make it make sense. I can't make it make sense. Can I just tell you this? The resurrection will never make sense. The resurrection will never make sense. Sense. It will never make practical sense for Jesus to lay his life down and take it back up again for people who don't deserve it. That will never make sense in any culture, anywhere that you go. That will never make sense. The resurrection wasn't based on pragmatism or what makes sense. The resurrection was rooted in and based in love. And let's just be honest. When was the last time love made sense? Right? We've done some pretty dumb things because of love, haven't we? I need some amens from the men in this room. <laughs> you did stuff when you were dating your wife that you wouldn't dare do today, right? Goofy stuff, things that, right? Because we were in love. <laughs> See, when was the last time love made sense? It doesn't. Love pushes through barriers of what, what's called normal. Love causes us to do things we're uncomfortable with. Love never makes sense. So here's my conclusion. My initial impression of the church was dead on. It's weird, and it doesn't make sense. It's awkward. Yeah, absolutely. I get it. If you're visiting here today and you're thinking, man, this is a group of weird people. Absolutely, we are. And we want you to come back and be weird with us. <laughs> yeah, we want you to trust in a gospel that may not make sense to you, but is still true. I'm going to say this. I want to leave you with this thought. Believing in the gospel, trusting in Jesus is risky, okay? It's risky. And it's risky not because it might be wrong, but because it might be right. And if you're standing on the outside looking in, you're kicking the tires on Christianity, you're thinking, I'm thinking about becoming a Christian, but I'm afraid if I do, it's gonna change everything. Let me just say, you're on the right track. It is gonna completely change everything, and you'll be glad it did. I wanna end here with you today. I wanna to pray for you and, and let you know that if you're here today and, and you're not a Christian, to become a Christian is simply believing the gospel, period. Right, yeah, I know you're waiting, and what? 
How much money do I have to give? What kind of church attendance do I have to keep? What is my wardrobe like, right? I got to cover up these tattoos. I got to change my rate. No, 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 no. Becoming a Christian is believing the gospel, that Jesus is the son of the living God, and he has died for your sins and rose from the grave on your behalf, and that by believing, you will have new life in him, period. I want you to know that free gift is available today. And Jesus is saying to you, come and take what I offer and you'll have it. I want to pray for us now. And I want to let you know, especially if you're new here, um, at the end of our services, as crowded as this room is, hey, this is what happens when God's moving, man. I am so thankful you're here today. Um, we're going to have prayer partners here in the room. And uh, they may be hard to find, but we've got prayer and counseling rooms back here in the corner. There's already a couple of prayer partners back there. Um, all of those folks are here for you. If you want to talk to somebody about becoming a Christian or have somebody pray with you over a situation, um, please, they'll be honored to pray and talk with you today. So in these next two songs, feel free at any point to go grab one of them and, and talk with them and let them pray over you. Um, but I want to pray for you now, and especially for those of you who may be thinking about trusting in Jesus for the first time today. Let's pray together as the worship team comes back up. Father, we're so thankful for amazing grace this morning, a grace that defies um, all that makes sense, a grace we don't deserve, a grace we didn't ask for, a grace we could never pay back, yet it's ours today. Oh God, we pray any person here who's at that point of trusting in you that today would be the day. God, you would beckon and call and invite that person to come to you Father, thank you that you are not a far-off deity who wants to be adored from a distance, but you're a God who wants to walk with us personally. God, anybody who doesn't know you that, God, in that way today, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, to believe the gospel, God, for you to make all things new. If you're here today and you make that decision, we want you to, to let somebody know, hey, there's somebody that you came with, or you write it down on a connect card or grab a prayer partner or a staff member. We want to know. We want to celebrate with you what God is doing. If you're still not quite sure what to say or what to pray, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but your prayer could go something like this. Dear Jesus, for the first time, my eyes are open and I believe. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. Today I'm bringing you my life to lay it down that you could give me something better. If you pray that prayer in your heart today in faith, welcome to the family. You are a Christian. Now God, move in our midst as we stand to sing. Touch us where we're hurting right now. Heal us where we're broken. God, lead us to that place of sweet surrender. We pray in Jesus' name.